Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome listeners far and wide to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. There are names out there that are synonymous with filmmaking. Spielberg, Scorsese, Kubrick, Hitchcock. I'm talking about directors, of course, and the list goes on and on. The definition of a director is generally the person who leads and manages the creative aspects of a film. Uh, That's purposefully broad, given a wide range in size and scope of films. Every director ultimately puts their own personal stamp on the films that they make. It's what makes a Spielberg film a Spielberg film. Uh, a Kubrick film, a Kubrick film, and such. So we're fortunate today to have on our podcast a director who has worked on over 100 film projects. He's had his film screened at some of the world's leading film festivals, uh, including Cannes. I am happy to welcome Miguel Miller. Miguel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Miguel, we've all heard the cliche, you know, what I really want to do is direct. Uh, you have an interesting background. Uh, can you talk about where you started and how it eventually uh, led you into directing? Well, I started as a flight attendant. Actually, I still work as a flight attendant, being honest. Uh, it's a career that I respect a lot. I tell everyone that when I go to work, I put on the uniform and I am the person they hire 20-something years ago that is designed to do that job. Normally, people ask you, so instead of asking you, what do you do? They normally ask you, so where are you? And the people say, I'm a flight attendant. And I always tell them, no, I'm not a flight attendant. And they're like, well, but you were in the uniform. I'm like, no, I become a flight attendant when I wear the uniform. I am a filmmaker. I'm a director. film director and they go like what and like yes it's because i think i'm a director 24 7 and i'm only a flight attendant when i wear my uniform so so yes i started as a as a flight attendant and uh in about 13 years ago i had an event that sort of made me shift gear a little i i couldn't fly anymore i had an unfortunate event and i didn't know what i was going to do so i was going through a period of time in my life that life didn't make much sense i was i'm not afraid to admit it i was depressed very depressed i was on a lot of medication and my partner at the time told me who realized that all i was doing to call myself was watch films i couldn't do anything else but watch films and i would digest film differently i will look at the costumes i would look at continuity I would look at things that normally people did not look at other than storytelling. So it was advised that I went to film school. Immediately, but immediately discarded that. Said, I know. When I went to school, it was really hard on me. I'm dyslexic. I'm severely dyslexic. I don't see, I can read like the way normal people read. And I don't think I can do that. Go back to school. Especially now that I'm not a little kid anymore. And let me give it a chance. So I went to school and I said, hey, this is what was what's happening with me. I want to give it a try, but I do not want to take any of the G classes. If you allow me to take just anything that is artistic to give this uh, try it out, I'll enroll. So I said, okay, um, I'm going to be very honest. My f- very first class was uh, photography, 35 millimeter. And the moment I put my eye on the viewfinder, I was I was a different person. I can testify that I went cold turkey a month after. I did not need any medication whatsoever. All of a sudden, the pieces in my life were falling in places, and I was putting it all together. 
the only thing that really makes sense for me was going to school and learning more. I was like like a sponge, but I did not want to learn anything that has to do with like math and grammar and writing this. I wanted the craft of creating things. And early on, I noticed that I want to create things that were unique to me, that were my own. And, um, and that's how the journey began about 13 years ago. And here I am. You and I share very similar pathways, but I don't want to bore our listeners with my story. Um, you said that you'd always watch films and who were your inspirations? Who who would you say your influences are? Funny you mentioned this because I, I didn't see, I, I watched all kinds of movies. I was not a person that watched, oh, I'm, I'm a uh, drama person or I watch these kind of genres. I used to watch all kinds of movies. Of course, there are, there were filmmakers that you will see and you're like, wow, Steven Spielberg is somebody that every piece of movie that he put out there, I, I felt attracted to. And that is, that is an inspiration for this generation. But then I would watch all films. And the first time I watched Casablanca, I was like, oh, I was completely blown away and then I saw Cinema Paradiso and I was like holy mother of God so I will watch these films that were made in all the times and not knowing who directed them not knowing who they were I could see a stamp on them and not knowing that they were slowly influencing me because later on I come to find out that I've been influenced a lot by um, a lot of the old directors not even knowing their names or who they were Um, Lars Montier is a new director that every time I see one of his work even though nobody goes to see it I'm like there and this is from this new generation of directors and there are others that have influenced my work not knowing once again not even following them I think the person that has stopped me the most without even seeing his work prior seeing his work Luis Buñuel um, when I first saw Luis Buñuel film I understood cinema differently and I understood myself differently growing up would you consider yourself a creative did you act were you into photography painting any type of artistic things I was more of a storytelling I didn't have access to camera I grew up poor in from the slump in Dominican Republic Los Alcarrizos, which I'm very proud of, by the way. Uh, I call it LA of Dominican Republic. Los Alcarrizos. I always was a storyteller. It's funny because my classmate and friends will come to me to help and write their cards and tell a story with their cards or any like Christmas card letters. I will create a story and I will think it is my own story that I'm writing for them or, or helping them write so I will come up with phrases and moments they didn't actually felt I was feeling them as they were telling me so I think I have always been a storyteller always but access to the camera and the composition um I didn't have that much access to that. I was always, I always been a little bit OCD when it comes to organizing things and placing things that were unique to me. And that later came to help me when I'm making movies, but artistically only storytelling. It's interesting. And, uh, you know, I think that the filmmakers at their heart are, are storytellers. And one of our, one of the things we brought up a lot back in season one, talking to folks was recently, really the last 20 years, we've seen the story being sacrificed for spectacle, that the story takes a backseat. And you mentioned the old movies, Casablanca, so many of them where back then it was the story because they didn't have the effects and the things that have gone on today. Do you agree or disagree with that? And we're talking big, big Hollywood, mainly, you know, for, for the masses. Has story gone to the wayside for more of a visual spectacle? Um, 
is changing, but it's, it's an industry. It's an industry that I respect a lot. Stories changing, stories are changing. Uh, there's a formula to follow. I believe that the sacrifices are individual. I think there's still people that are going to tell the story no matter what. There's people out there that will not sacrifice the story. Now, there's people that are in the search of popularity, they're in the search of being known, and they're in the quest for fame, and they're going to use every tool available. And I respect that. Trust me, I do. This is the, the generation of the cell phones and people that are, like, what are they called? Influencers? Mm-hmm. There's people that are very famous for just pouring a drink on a cop. And I'm studying this and I'm looking at them and I'm like, oh, okay. I respect that. I don't understand it, though, but I respect that. Is this generation now and people are giving value and respect to that. Okay, I'm not that person. So some of us are still staying through to what we are. And I see movies every now and then that blow me away. And this year, I saw one. I'm going to push the name because I, I, I'm really bad with names. It's called, I think, Everything. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, it was the first time that a movie just took me out of my element. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't expecting it. And I went to see it without expectation. So there, every year, if you look for them, you will find the stories. You will. And just going back. To my intro, I think one of the biggest reasons, you know, Spielberg is who he is, is because he does maintain the story and his movies are still spectacles to watch. It, it doesn't get, get lost in there. So when you started getting into filmmaking and into the film industry, did you jump right into directing or did you move up the ladder? Did you do other positions? Oh, uh, I think... I I don't know if I jump into directing. I think I was sort of kind of identified as as watch as one. I went to school that they teach you everything, but when it came to directing, because I was always telling stories that were a bit tangible or not tangible, but it was always a story. Uh, I fell into that that path. But I done everything on set from sound to be the person that picks up the the, the trash to uh, which I'm not really good with sound by the way. But I done everything. I do a lot of camera work lately. I've been doing I've been shooting a couple of documentaries and and that's a different way to tell in stories as well. Mostly what I like about the movies, um, I like fiction films because I'm able to create something out of nothing. But yeah, within everything that we see daily. So it's ordinary, but it can be extraordinary. And that's what I love about film. So I think you had mentioned before when we were talking that you've also have done some work as an assistant director. Yes. Um, I do a lot of assistant director work, mainly because I have it, I'm a little organized and... I've been working with directors that are also executive producers, so I understand their need as me be mostly the executive producer of my own films. So I try to, I think I'll bring that to the set. And, and it's interesting because there aren't a lot of people who move back and forth between directing and assistant directing. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are in the film industry know, but if you're new to the film industry, you don't understand that the role of a first assistant director is very different than a director. You don't actually assist the director. So can you talk about what some of those differences are? Well, director is, as we mentioned earlier, 
the master of creation, the one in charge of all creativity, but must, mostly making decisions, right? So we have a tendency to levitate a lot. I am constantly levitating when I'm directing. Um, I, I see the bigger picture and I see it already projected. So because of it, I need somebody to ground me. When I assist direct, I'm able to remove myself from the hat and look from the logistic point. Mind you, I'm constantly watching my director because their mistakes are my mistake not to make their success. So I'm constantly looking at other directors as my school because everyone has a different way of directing and there might be a technique that the director has to solve a problem that I didn't think of it before. And because I'm so close to the director, I'm able to watch that very closely. So that's why I'm able to transform myself and understand that when I am assistant director, I can remove from all emotions and mainly logistic and that give me an advantage in terms of being able to make cohesive decisions because you are in charge basically of three things you have you're in charge of security safety is the most important thing on set and you're in charge of that department you are in charge of communication so you're communicating between all departments and to communicate with people it's not an easy task because you have seven departments that require they are all artistic and when you're artistic you're emotional and emotion takes away logic. So remaining remaining logical is an interesting task. So I need to find a way to talk to him, to her, to him, to him, and to her. And they all require different verbiage. Um, sometimes there are cinematographers, there are painters. And when they're painting, they're using all kinds of colors and you need to find a way to get timing out of them. Okay, how long is that shot going to take you? Because depending on how long that shot is going to take you, I can guide makeup and I can guide wardrobe and I can tell my director, this is how much time you have to rehearse with your actors. So I had to move all those timings and sometimes I have, I was shooting a movie and I was assistant director and the, the photographer refused to give me timings. Every time I approached him with time, it was subconsciously his way of saying, I'm in control and I had to put him aside and I said you are in control of your department I respect you and treasure you but I'm in control of the set and I'm in charge of getting a production done because that's my third job I need to get a movie done so if you don't give me times I can't move forward so what I'm gonna need from you is well, as soon as I approach you and ask you for time did you give me a time and you give me a realistic time whatever it is if it is an hour I know that's what I have to play with give me a realistic time so I approached him that way and you know there's this man-to-man -man conversation that needed to be had there and after that I got my times <laughs> was in this instance was the director also like the producer and financer of, of the film yes that poses a challenge because it probably in, in his mind is like you know it's my time and money I'll, I'll do what I want and I think you also bring up, up another interesting point that uh, being diplomatic, having to know how to talk to people. And I'm sure part of that ties back in your experience as a flight attendant. I mean, you have probably dealt with the entire range. And, and I've said for a long time, if you worked in either the service or the retail industry, you could do anything because all those you, you deal with people all the time and different people and the different level of stress and that's it's very similar and said we all go into different levels mostly time consuming because there is a production that has a budget and every minute counts so if i don't keep my timings yeah keeping safety under control and all communications reliable like we were talking earlier about uh communication in terms of safety i'm in charge of making sure that everybody's safe sometimes the director will ask you for things and you're like uh i'm sorry it cannot be done 
done. So that's one thing that I take under consideration. If I'm going to be the assistant director for a director that is going to listen to me, because a lot of times if they are as an executive producer, as a director, they're going to say like, oh, no, this is my movie. I want the shot. And I'm like, you hanging an actor from a rope you can't do that you simply can't do that it's not going to happen and i haven't had those chances i mean this opportunity has come to me and on on pre-production and i easily talk and said hey this is a time where i'm going to tell you that this shot cannot happen you have taken 13 takes of this one if you do not have it there you're not going to get it because i need to move on i had to get a movie done my job is that whenever we do a close-up whenever it's a wrap i need to know what's missing and how I'm going to get it because my job is to get the movie done as an assistant director. And you mentioned that you're starting to do a little bit more camera work and I'm sure having a director mindset help you. But again, is it difficult to kind of separate sometimes when you're you know, either DPing or working the camera and director wants this shot this way, but you're saying to yourself, that's going to look horrible. Like, I know it should be shot this way. That's been a little bit tougher than assistant director for me. Um, recently, I was hired to do this amazing piece, which I loved. And the director and I would be talking for months and he expressed his vision and... I try to convey this person that this would have been a better shot for that particular story. And um, there was no having it. And I had to take my shadow whiskey and find out another way to create and, and convey what he needed to, but at the same time, stay inspired. So it's a little bit more challenging because we're talking about two departments that are both artistic on like assistant director you mainly logistic and trust me when i'm assistant director i can cut you dry i could say uh i got you thank you uh, this is what i need and i'm very direct when i'm assistant director i'm like i go straight to the point i mention what i need to say i listen to what you had to say and once that's done it's done um because there's a time constraint but i need to listen because if i don't listen to what you're telling me i won't be able to relate that information cohesively and sometimes you have to elaborate a lot and i need to learn how to listen to everything you had to say probably not the most politically correct thing to say but sometimes when it comes to you know the person in charge you just have to say okay and uh the phrase is uh give them enough rope to hang themselves you know, you let them do it their way. They'll either see it's wrong and come back to you. They'll keep it wrong and, and hopefully they own it. You know, we'll, we'll say, yep, that was me. A lot of times people are not going to own it. But the thing is that you have to get a movie done. Normally, you as an assistant director get hired by the UPM or the executive producer. And you committed to get a movie done. So if a person is being too stubborn and they make a mistake, at the second time they make a mistake on the same area, that's when I pull the plug. Um, I haven't had those chances happening. Like I mentioned earlier, one case, the DP was short board, wouldn't speak to me much. And they have the places that a person will talk too much and repeat himself. So... I had to find a medium. Whenever I got everything that I feel that they need to say and they're repeating themselves, I was like, okay, I'll get back to you. Because I don't want to feel like, oh, not appreciated and I love. But whenever I'm not getting what I need from you, which is your time, your process, what you need, what, how I can help you, I need to fish it out. So it is like learning to communicate and communicating differently with different people. That's the job of an assistant director. It's a lot to learn, a lot to take in. We, uh, we're just getting started here on the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, 
And we are back. I am joined today by director Miguel Miller. Like I said earlier, the director is responsible for all the creative aspects of a film. So Miguel, in your words, what does that mean? What is a director's job? Your job as a director is to cohesively convey what's in the script, to um, be basically in charge of all artistics. So from costume to set design to sound, mainly acting to make sure that whatever was in the script cohesively translate into the big screen pretty much so from taking the script to the screen what is it that makes a director's like personal style what makes if you gave spielberg scorsese hitchcock kubrick and you the same script what would be like what are the things that differentiate like how it goes from script to screen or how it's conveyed uh, that's an interesting question i think it has a lot to do with a friend of mine said to me once to make a movie you need one or two things preferably if you have both better you need lots of time if you don't have money or lots of money to, to make it happen uh Stilber has a lot of time and money uh miguel miller has no money and sometimes not enough time but <laughs> i make things happen uh style is so unique to a person i am the type of director that like to convey images that are uncomfortable sometimes to watch steven spielberg is the type of director that like to convey images that transcend through dialogue and like close-ups and a, a more tangible realistic things that we can relate to in a day-to-day basic so i like to travel fly out steven spielberg keeps you grounded so that alone will set us apart completely um i love dream sequences i love surrealism on 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 my movies but the type of surrealism not super abstract i'm more of a uh, renee malgrette kind of surreal filmmaker where it is in your face and it's tangible, but it's not detached. When you get a script and you look at a script or a screenplay and you're going to turn it into a film. I remember when I was learning screenwriting and, and with things I, I've done in the past, there's some screenwriters who like to put a lot of action and direction into their script. There's others who put as little as they can and leave it to the director. Which do you prefer? Do you like having the flexibility to do what you want or do you like it when the writer is clear on what their intent is? I love flexibility. I have been hired to direct only a few films. Most of the films that I directed are of my own creation. So when you read a script from that I've written, you could literally tell that I wrote that script because I am clear almost in the shot the way I want it. Uh, and sometimes when you send script to friends, they're like, oh, you cannot say you're showing a wide shot and you're going to do a zoom from here to there. And I'm like, uh, uh, I am going to direct this. This is my baby or, or my last one of my last scripts that I directed. I wrote a scene and I de- depicted there was a conversation that there was being had and within that conversation we are going to be listening to it and I and the person that wrote the script was like I know what you're doing mm-hmm. it was like what do you mean it's like I know this scene that you wrote here you're going to improv this scene and it's exactly what I had in mind so if you know me you know that that's what I'm trying what I'm going to do I do some improvs on my scripts a lot. I leave one or two scenes to give the actors, to have that interaction between the actors, especially scenes that are emotional. They want to convey things through that push-pull the actors sometimes have. What is it that makes a good director 
a good director? What what makes a bad director a bad director? A good director, a director you like, a bad director, a director you don't like. Um, it's a matter of taste. It's a matter of whether you like that kind of craft and you can identify with it, with that craft bring you to the ground and, and you can be very tangible. There's some people that like a movie called Charnado. And I saw a couple of them, and it's not my type of film. It's good for them. I learned how to respect people's um, sense of style, choose choices. Um, I don't enjoy those kind of films. But if you're doing a film and you respect the seven craft, whether I enjoy the film or not, I respect you as a director. Seven craft, if you have, your sound is great. If you act in this level, at least. Mm -hmm. If your story is conveyed from beginning to an end in a cohesive way. Or if you are breaking that cohesiveness, because you could also tell. I have been fortunate to be the judge for a film festival in New York called the 21 Island Film Festival. And I've been the judge for three years in a row. And I had chosen films that I will never direct as best film. Why? Because they were... Very well done in every aspect of the film. Remember, it's a seven art. As a seven art, you need to really know what you're looking at. And sometimes it doesn't apply to every film. Some films do not have uh, an actor as a strong plot point. Some films are driven by photography. Other films don't have no sound whatsoever. There's no line of dialogue. So can I judge dialogue there? But an actor has a way to convey images. Sometimes we're able to convey emotions just by looking at an object and adding sound to it. So I find that a good storyteller is able to do these things with what's at their disposal. Sometimes you have a lot. Sometimes you don't have a lot. So, for example, if you have actors that say aren't great you can make up for that with the cinematography the art some sound some playing around to a point where you know on the other i guess on the other end of the end of that spectrum if you have great actors um you know a director can almost let them do do their thing and i know there's some directors who really like to micromanage the actors like to every detail every movement and the way they say things and there's other ones who are just gonna trust the actor do that where would you say you fall probably in the middle well definitely in the middle uh i had a film just that i just did recently and um, i have it in post-production and i have several areas that are questionable one of them is acting i have very powerful actors and an actor that came to set that was under the influence and didn't remember a single line and couldn't cohesively tell me a single line and i had no way to replacing that actor doing the data shooting and we discussed this we prepare we thought we prepare but that did not happen so yeah, I have my workout out there. Um, you, as a creator, you had to think of every possible way when you are filming, and you had to find ways to cover your actors because ultimately the actor acts. You cannot act for the actor. The photographer is going to create his photography. You cannot do photography. You are directing, and but you, what you can do is, if your actor is sinking, you can throw them a heaving line, because if the actor sinks, you sink. If the cinematographer doesn't capture the image well then you are in deep shit sorry but um those are things you can plan ahead and see because you are the person in charge of all artistic if your artistic department is falling your job is to try to lift it up and find the tools to lift that department up Uh, and this film that i just did i have i said i have four areas and i mentioned two I don't have, I have bad acting in one angle and good acting in another angle, but I don't have cover 
enough coverage on the good actor to compensate for the bad actor. So I'm still dealing with that. I have some cinematography issues and I have some coverage issues. Plus I have sound issues. So my friend, that's going to be an interesting piece. I think I can save it, but um, I don't know yet. After I shot my first couple of short films, I decided I'm never shooting outside again and I'm never shooting with sound again. I'm making silent films indoor all the time because don't have to worry about weather, don't have to worry about sound issues. And I, uh, I haven't followed through on that promise to myself. Do you think it's the director's job to get the best performance out of the actors or is it the actor's responsibility to give the best performance they can because that's what they were hired to do? That's what they were hired to do. If you are an actor, you're hired to become that character. If you read that character and you knew you cannot become that character, you should never take in that job. It's your job. So as a director, have you had to like kind of step in and I'm sure you have been able to like really, you know, tell the actor, you're not doing this right. You're not bringing this out right. You're missing a point of this scene. It depends on the moment. Okay. Like I mentioned, and this last movie I did, it was pointless to try to convey this to this actor because the actor was not going to transcend. He was not going to give me what I needed and what the movie needs. Now, i seen that problem. I needed to find ways to save that, that scene. It was not with the actor, so I needed to use other tools that we have at our disposal. Once again, if the visual present of that moneymaker, as I call it, is not there, then I use the other moneymaker. If the other moneymaker is not there, then I had to find ways, which is, in my case, I do a lot of inserts, mm-hmm. do a lot of camera movement. I try to find uh, objectivity within the scene to try to convey the scene. And I think that's probably what I'm gonna have to do with that film. But it is, to answer your question, the job of an actor to become that character you know, is the job of a director to make sure your actor does not drown. But if you cannot do that, please, my fellow actors, my, my I, I admire you. I love you. I treasure you. You are my. I'm a actor's director. I mean, I'm a director's actor. I love you. Do not take that job before you go into set. Don't do it. Do you find actors don't do? But are actors able to be that self? Uh introspective like that actors you know i'm an actor i can play any role that's on and they take the role and then you know you realize the first day of filming nope not ready for it i haven't had that experience okay i haven't had that experience i i like to rehearse and rehearse as much as possible and normally you're able to tell a casting you have you have an instinct this this person may be the character i look for three things when i do casting and those are my basic things. I do, I look, can that actor be that character? Can he become that character? Mm-hmm. And actors do a lot of things to show you that they do that. Sometimes they come prep, they do makeup, and they dress for the part to impress you when they come to audition. The other thing that I look for, can I work with this person? Is the communication there? Um, and the third, is that person talented enough? Um, I could work with two, but not with one. The person is not super talented, but I can communicate well, and the person can become the character, can definitely make that character come across. So film is a visual medium. How important are looks? Very, very important. Um, you have to make sure that the character are what was written. If a person is struggling with weight and is overweight he was written as an overweight person and is haggard and is a person that is going to depression he needs to look like that yeah and that 
that leads to, you know, an interesting debate that's going on today about, um, I don't know if demographics is the right world, but that, uh, you know, for, for example, trans characters should be played by a trans actor or a, a Jewish character should be played by a Jewish character. Muslim should be played by a Muslim actor. Um, my personal take on that is, you know, to a point that undermines the purpose of, of an actor. I'm curious if, if you've ever had any of those type of castings and you've had to address those questions. Uh, yes, a lot. Um, I am very inspired by the trans community. Uh, me being a queer person, I am super inspired by the trans community. My last movie, I had a trans woman in the, as a character, and I auditioned for them. And I was not able to get my character. What do I do? So I shouldn't make a movie because I couldn't find a trans person to play that, that role. I believe an actor shouldn't be outcast because of their color, sexual preference, or any other biases. An actor should be auditioned and find within that actor the ability to convey that story. And the problem that is happening is that you have a lot of people that are not giving uh, trans women or trans men their role because they're trans as a, as a person. And that is the problem, I think. I think that if you are a trans woman and you are auditioning for a woman, show me you're a woman, and we're going to give you the role as a woman. There might be some voice issue. We can work with that. Once again, do I see those three things there, or at least two of them? Then I can work with this. Um, the problem is that because they see that person as, as auditioning, not the character they're auditioning for, and the ability to that, that is the problem that we have in. I don't think a person should be hired because of their sexual preferences or their, their religious inclination or, or any of that. A, a character should be represented by an actor. And if an actor is an actor, an actor will become that character. And there's nothing more orgasmic and I use the right word, orgasmic, then seeing your actor become your character. I'm attached to the screen, and I get emotional when I don't, and I no longer see that person that came to audition, and I see the character that was written on the page. And actors can do that for you. When they want to become someone, they do. And there's nothing more inspirational. And you mentioned, speaking of characters, and you know, when you write, you write, I'm sure, character descriptions. Do you like writing the dialogue? more do you like writing the action do you like you know weaving together things what part of the writing process do you do you enjoy the most the original vomiting of the story <laughs> to be honest with you that the dream that I normally get my story in dreams so that coming out i'm so excited and so pumped then when i start polishing it that's when i'm finding the struggling and then the hardest part is the rewrite rewriting a story is tough because you see it clearly in your head but you see it clearly in your head with a lot of emotions and then there's people like assistant directors mm -hmm. that come to you and say hey i can't see what ethnicity this person is i can't see how tall i can't see and those things are important to have because you're dealing with a lot of departments that are going to be reading the script and some departments are going to look at specific things so you must have those things so rewriting is tough because you had to take the emotional part of you as a storyteller and look at the logistic part as a storyteller and see this is needed this is needed there's there's this this scene is is a beautiful scene it's so romantic and perfect or it's so uncomfortable it's, but it doesn't move the story forward so guess what out and that is the toughest part yeah so that happens I'm, I'm sure you write something and you got a picture perfectly in your head and it's just not conveying on film sometimes you shoot it and it's beautiful I'm telling you that it is something that you want to by itself a stand and you had to 
take it out completely. It happens to me more than once, a lot, in every movie. It's, uh, it's fascinating. And we're starting to talk a little bit about uh, your process and how you approach things. And we're going to talk more about that after we take another quick break. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. And ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back with director Miguel Miller. So Miguel, we've talked about other directors. We talked about directing as a whole. So now let's talk about you. Uh, let's say you've written a script or, or, or you get a script that somebody wants you, wants you to direct. Can you take us through everything a director does from the moment you have a script all the way up to the first screening or the film gets distributed? The first screening is scary. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the back. I'm doing that, that um, irreversible thing. Uh, uh, but um, story, if it is something that comes out of me, I'm, I'm excited. I have it in my heart. I have it in my head. I can see it. I can visualize it. It's tangible. So if it comes out of me, then, like I said, rewriting, which is a tough craft, and then assembling the team. If it is something that I'm directing of mine and in my experience, I use people that I know and they know me. I, I try to convey that vision to them. So the process is a lot smoother so the more they understand what's in there and what's in here the smoother it becomes and when it comes you're always going to have bumps part of making film at our level is overcoming those obstacles that comes to you and I'm talking about obstacles as simple as you had an actor that didn't show up for not rehearsal the day of shooting I had that happened yeah. uh, camera the other day I was shooting a commercial and I, I ran to this very expensive lenses. It was, uh, I wanted to shoot anamorphic with that commercial. I was directing this commercial, and uh, the anamorphic lenses were rent and all this stuff. And the lens jammed in the camera, and we couldn't remove it, and it blocked the camera. We had to suspend um, shooting that day, and you had to be quick on your feet and make sure you get that product out. So you have all kinds of problems. So now you shot it, you have the idea, you created a script, you put the team together, you went through all the trouble to shoot it and you have it on a can and, and what do you do? Well, in this case, a hard drive now because we don't shoot film anymore. But what do you do when you go to edit? It's a completely different craft. A lot of times, some of the things that you wrote and when you were shooting, the actor had a hard time pronouncing that particular word. So you had to change it, morph it. Like I said earlier, I do a lot of improv. I, not a lot, but there's a scene or two that I always like how my actors improve. And I normally do that either in the beginning or at the end of this or the, or the filming because it builds a, a, a bond between those two actors, normally my main characters. And you are now dealing with that that you shot and all the problems that came with it and now you are editing and that monster is telling you that this doesn't work this doesn't work this is going to have to change this is going to have to go here this is going to have to go there and that and evolves my movies don't change they evolve some people tell you oh you have a movie when you when you write it and then you have a movie when you shoot it and then you have a movie when you edit um, I have the same movie slightly different it's, it's if it's a drama it's a drama if it is this is the main character that has changed a lot 
lot of times I have given more power to whoever looks better in front of the camera. And actors don't understand. Some actors don't understand this. It's not how many lines you have in front of the camera. It's how well you react when the camera is in front of you. How much presence you have. Put a camera in front of Viola Davis, and that woman is going to steal the shot. Mm-hmm. Judy Dench. There's some actors that just, just take it, and it's not as much as the action, as much as the reaction. So all of that, and that determines how that movie leans towards. And I have, I always make my secondary character almost as strong as my primary character because uh, you had a span and um, now you have edited the film you cut stuff that were gorgeous and you need to remove and you add stuff that you needed to do and you did pick up shots and you're going to screen and that's when I run is <laughs> 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 probably my most fragile moment is showing it and I have a movie that I have not shown to anyone and it's not because I'm not proud of them they're my child. They're my children. I really love them, but it's scary. But isn't that what you work for? Isn't that what you work towards? I mean, it's great to make a movie, but you want people to see it, don't you? Bad daddy. I'm a bad, <laughs> I'm a bad father. I've been a bad father. I, I I recognize my fault. I want to protect them. They're like they're my children, and if you criticize them, if you hurt them, you I feel the pain so deeply, and that has taught me to be very respectful to other people's. Because I'm so sensitive with my work. When you show me something and you are in the reviewing, asking for feedback, I try to be as respectful as I can. And I come to understand that not everybody likes everything. And as long as you, if you send me a film that you want feedback and you have areas, my job is to try to find ways to cover those areas. A friend of mine just sent me a scene that was having a hard time. He went from 19 minutes to 13 minutes and he cut it so well, so dynamic. And then I looked at the scene and I was like, how do I tell them this? Uh, but I have to be honest. I say, hey, you have this and this and this problem, but I also think you have this and this and this solution for those problems. Uh, the scene is amazing. You're missing moments. You're cutting it too fast. You're doing this, this, and that. That I think it could Im- improve the film. And he did exactly what I what I told him. Uh, I mean, not that I was right or anything, but I guess I was. And it worked out okay. It worked out okay. So that is my process from concession, which is once again pacing back and forth, trying to vomit that idea. It normally comes from like I do a log line, then I expand and expand and expand. And if it is a feature script, I do a series of steps from log line to a treatment to a more enhanced treatment. And then I do all the character development. And then I do a step outline, which I literally step outline every single scene if it's 75 scenes 75 scenes with you know the lock line for the scene the object the essence and how you're going to move the story forward and then from there i move on to write that doesn't mean i use all of them later i can move them around and take them out and i guess that's my process and i want to go back to something we, talk, we started talking about in the last segment casting um so important and definitely during COVID, it may have even started before um, moving from like in-person auditions to doing like Zoom auditions. But I know, especially when you're trying to cast multiple characters together, chemistry is important. And I would think like it's hard to tell if actors have chemistry together on Zoom. You have to get them in the same room. Did you use Zoom or, or online casting or did you sneak it all, do it in person? We did. Some, some. Uh, I did not like them. 
Um, but we did it. It was, it was what was there, and we had to work with what we have. So, what do you do? Don't don't shoot. Don't do anything. And so, but I, there's like I mentioned, I'm, I'm an energetic kind of person. So, I'm all about the energy. And sometimes an actor comes to you, and they bring so much. And I like to play with my actors when they come to audition. The way I know if I can communicate with them, they come. With, sometimes they come with a monologue. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you give them lines. And if I have time, I play with them. And I see the range within that playfulness. Okay. What do, what do you mean play with them? I give them scene. I give them scenarios. I give okay. them stories. And I play along with that. And I see how they listen to what I'm saying. So what I'm looking for sometimes is, is very different to what I'm asking them to do. But sometimes I just want to know if they listen to what I'm saying. If they try to follow the direction. And I know if their communication can be there. I also see, can see the range. Um, how far can I push this actor? That's actually what happened with one of my actors from my last film, Johnny Atrocity. Um, the guy came to audition, and I saw his range. I saw his skills. I saw there was communication. I wasn't sure if he could become the character because the character needed to be a trans woman. This guy was a heterosexual male that was kind of bush and like, uh, and I, I didn't think he had it. He could become it. But I saw two things that I like, and the fact that he was eager to do the part he was wanting to do it. I gave him a task. He did it. I had the same experience in Mexico. I, uh, it was interesting because we were shooting a film. We auditioned. I had a lot of people that came to audition in Mexico, which was amazing. I did a film that is now being released called Antes del Mictlan, which was shot in, in Castellano and Nahuatl, which is one of the Aztec language. And I auditioned an actor, for a kid, a seven-year-old. This seven-year-old was an experienced actor. Amazing. When I go to shoot, literally two days prior i go to mexico i've done all the rehearsals everything is good they have a shortage on um, fuel and we couldn't get my actor and the beauty about it is the assistant director and the team came back and they said they said we don't have this but we have this um what are we going to do so they brought a kid to me that had no experience whatsoever um didn't have the gift could look the character and wanted to be the character and i i Give him homework. And I gave him hard homework. I asked him to learn to play an instrument, a musical instrument mm-hmm. that I literally end up using. If you see the film, I use the actual sound of the kid playing the violin. He learned the violin in a few days and came back with notes. When that happened to you as a director, you feel invigorated. You feel strong. You feel like Hulk. You feel like you can go through things. And those are the things that actors do to you. Seeing your character come to life, it's a, it's a pretty amazing feeling. Amazing. What I love also is when an actor is capable to stamp that character without deleting the character. Because you want the actor to stamp the character. You want an actor to, to give his own signature. As you do as a director to a film, you want the actor to give the signature to the character, but without raping the character. You want the character to remain authentic. And when an actor does that, you go, this is... This is better than a milkshake or a shot of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> or whiskey and a milkshake. Uh, I don't know. They go together. I'll give it a try. Oh, sure they do. <laughs> Spike milkshakes. And you talked about your writing process. Obviously, you know, you get very detailed. You develop the characters, script, rewrite. So then when it comes to translating that vision 
you can't operate the camera, you can't set up the lights, you can't build the sets. How do you convey that? Do you do do you do storyboards? Do you do storyboards for every shot? Do you do storyboards for just kind of to get the idea? Like, what's your first step in visually translating the script? I haven't done storyboard always. I do storyboard depends on the story and the team that I'm working with. Storyboard is a map. It's a clear map from point A, point B. If I can convey that without having to use a storyboard, I'll do it through words. Like I, you know, detail the shots. And I do that with my DP and my team. We understand each other cohesively. That's the way I go. But when I do storyboard, then I'll detail. On most of my films, I've done it without storyboard. But I've done films with storyboard. About 10 of my films I've done with storyboards. And then at the other end of the spectrum, uh, do you edit your films? Do you sit with the editor? Do you have to... Like like you said, pass your vision on to the editor and let them go to work and send it to you to look at. I don't edit anymore. I have edited some of my films, some of my early work. Uh, I I like to sit with my editor, but I'm not. Uh, yeah, come defensive. <laughs> I, that came out a little defensive, right? I'm not overbearing. Like I sit in the back and I just like to be there, vibing. During COVID, we edited a whole film. I was there the whole time, and it was wonderful to be there because it's sort of kind of. This writer, I mean, this editor in particular, and I have a great chemistry. Josh Sibyl is an amazing editor. And I saw him working. A lot of times when he was making a cut, I would be like, ah, maybe a frame less, maybe a frame more. And because he was cutting there as I'm there with him, I would say, oh, but remember on this scene, there is this reaction that we can steal to make sure that we convey this. And I was like, oh, instead of like having to give those notes later. But depends on the artist because an editor is an artist and he's creating this piece so a lot of times they don't need you there you being there is disruptive to their craft and depends on the people and someone once told me a good way to think about it the editor is kind of it's the construction company they're getting the blueprints they're getting all the different pieces to build a house but are they going to put it together exactly the way the architect designed it are they going to put their own stamp on it i like personally um i find it hard like when I've edited other people's stuff and I find it hard to, it's you know, more communication on my part, hard to convey 100% of what I picture, what I thought, you know, to another editor. Um, but it's, it's something I'm... Uh, learning to do yeah it's, it's tough because you see it as your baby and then all of a sudden you're just giving your baby to somebody else to take it over um but they are artists and they have magical way to take it from point a to point b that you haven't thought of uh the ability to disconnect and allow them to do what they do best and a lot of times they do things without emotion you already emotional. The editor is not as emotional. So they're going to see a scene and they say, this is missing, this is missing, this is missing. And this scene needs to be this much, this length. An editor will find a stamp, a way to convey that scene, a way to transition between that scene and the next scene. And those are things you don't have tools for because you are, once again, emotional mm -hmm. and they're not. And it's also fresh eyes. I mean, you look at something so long, you just stop seeing things back. My former life, um, my job, I was doing basically PowerPoint presentations and reports and white papers. And, you know, you look at something long enough and you're trying to get it right, trying to get it right. You just you just grab somebody who's walking by, you know, and be like, hey, look at this. Does this look right to you? And they're like, no, you're missing this and that. It's like, oh, that's what it is. So, yeah, definitely, um, definitely getting other people's inputs is valuable. But... 
you know, you also have to make sure that you don't take everyone else's input to the point that it impedes on your vision. Good point. Good point. It's a very, very good point because when you are in the feedback stages with the scripts or as well as with the editing process, uh, reliable sources are important. When you give somebody a script to read it, they are going to see it most of the time how they will make it. So they will give you feedback on things that will take your story in a different direction. So when the feedback comes to me, I try, it's hard to discern what is the constructive feedback and what is an emotional feedback. Uh, same thing with the film. Once it's edited, I use only a certain amount of people for feedback that can tell me exactly what's wrong and how to fix it. Because you tell me something is wrong and you don't give me a solution, this is not a feedback. That is a critique. And that's very different very very different don't come with problems come with solutions show me the problem show me where i made a mistake and then tell me how do you think i can fix that mistake and um when you are making a movie you need somebody to give you feedback you need as much feedback as possible because we need to come out of your head and find solutions for problems and there are problems in every single movie especially our level of course it's a it's a process and uh it's a craft you know being director is a craft and uh we're gonna take one more quick break and we'll be back to finish up this episode. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. We'll be right back. I'm Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We are talking today with director Miguel Miller. So, Miguel, we talked a lot about projects you've done. Uh, what are you currently working on and what do you have coming up next? I just finished doing the festival route for Antonia, which is uh, a film about a trans woman who's being interrogated because her last client was found dead in a motel room. And it did quite well. We went to 23 film festivals. We won 10 of those, I think, 10, 12. Uh, we actually screened at the um, Chinese Theater in LA. We won Best Writer Director there. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a, a wonderful, incredible piece that uh, we're probably going to be releasing to the um, uh, different platforms soon. I am about to begin, or I just began a festival route for a film that I did in Mexico prior to Antonia called Antes del Miclan. Antes del Miclan is a story of a gentleman that wakes up in a familiar room, but he doesn't remember absolutely anything. To make it even worse, he wakes up naked as he goes around trying to understand where he's at, and even who he is, who he doesn't remember. A familiar face comes knocking through the door and it happens to be himself. And this familiar face bring more questions than answers to his naked reality. It's a beautiful film. I shot it in Spanish and Nahuatl, which is a native language from the Aztec um, aboriginals there. Uh, inspirational in every way. Really alone side with how I like to tell films in, in this in the surrealism scape, scope of things. Very subtle. Deals with the afterlife and your the consequences of your actions. Uh, it's done <laughs> incredibly well. I just began the first war out about two months ago. 31 selections and 17 wins. Wow. I haven't announced any of this yet because I still need to find uh, 
the promotional team to help me with this. But um, it's a project that is very dear to my heart. I'm working on my first animation short. Uh, I wrote the script. Oh, I wrote it a treatment a while ago, and I'm getting the. Um, I'm compelling the the artists that are going to work with because this is the second time I'm working with animation so it's a completely different craft altogether really excited about it it's a story of once again drama of a man that is um, depressed on dies and as he's trying he didn't get to know him very well so he finds out that his seven-year-old son had a crush with the girl next door so he pretend to be his son to the little girl to try to find out more about his son and um it's a very touchy topic because this is an adult Mm -hmm. pretending to be a boy as with a girl that has an interest so um, obviously something like that I can only convey with animation and um, I'm also um, trying to get back to uh, a pilot that I wrote about a story of a woman that killed people by selling them tea it's called Tiana it's supposed to be a, yes yes I want to shoot this in my country but it could be anywhere so I'm developing that and trying to edit uh, my last film that I shot a couple of months ago I shot a film in Dominican Republic for the first time it was very educational I don't know what I'm going to go with it yet I'm so grateful to so many people that helped me with it and I don't want to let them down so that's that's what I'm at I'm trying to regain strength put air in my lungs and keep breathing they say if if you want to write you should read if you want to direct you should watch movies uh, you do both you write and you direct is that good advice and if not what advice would you give to aspiring writers and directors if you want to write if you want to be a writer write if you want to be a director direct if you want to be a filmmaker make films director doesn't become a director by watching movies you need to direct and if you cannot direct because we all know it's not easy it takes both testicles out of you and when you put them back they're not the same make sure you are watching directors and when i mean watching directors i don't mean by just watching movies i mean going to set and watch directors make mistakes try and over things and that will be your school if you're not in school but you cannot be something you're not practicing. It's a muscle, like everything in life. You need to practice it. I have a lot of friends that went to film school with me, and we left school a long time ago, and they call themselves directors. They haven't directed anything. I know one friend that has been writing this short script for 14 years now. She's gone from 13 pages to 20 pages and back to 11, and then again to 18 pages. It's been quite a while. Without any disrespect to my friend, I don't think you're a writer. If you listen to this, you're not a writer. So you are going to make mistakes. We are going to make a lot of mistakes. Some of those mistakes are beautiful. They're so beautiful. They are going to make you so strong that you're going to love them later. Make mistakes. Yeah, there's definitely in, in the film industry people who want to get from here to there but don't understand or appreciate the amount of work you have to put in to get to there. I have a different perspective on getting there. I want to make movies. I want to tell stories. I want to transcend to time. I am not looking for fame. I'm not looking to win a lot of awards, even though I'm winning awards, which is great. It feels wonderful to be recognized. I'm not lying about that. Uh, but I want to make movies because I want to tell stories. So 
on that note, what does your future look like? I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't tell you about tomorrow. I can only tell you about today. And today I'm working like I was working yesterday and the day before. And I hope I can work tomorrow. My one quest in this life is to transcend through my movies. It's a beautifully honest answer. Thank you. <laughs> so where can our listeners either see your work or follow you or learn more about you? I'm going to try to get him out of my a drawer. Uh, I have some movies already in some platforms, not as many. I just did a documentary called, uh, I was the main photographer and was actually the director and I, uh, from performance to Expectator. That is on PBS art is six piece, uh, six episode documentary, which is beautiful piece about artists going through, through COVID or, or living in COVID in New York, which was the epicenter of, of the whole thing. And how did they cope with this? Because they sort of performer artist that we did during COVID I was flying to New York several times a month the height of it all and this woman Melissa Ramos which was the director she was also my teacher in school had this idea and literally the two of us did everything from camera sound everything and uh, PBS took it and he aired it and it's beautiful it's doing quite well that you can find there um, some of my movies are already in YouTube and and um, I am really bad at promoting things um, some of the movies have their own website like Antonia if you go to www.antonia.com you'll find everything about Antonia everything where we went uh, gonna see a behind the scene which is quite interesting is called a seal behind the craft and the trailer and a lot of interviews we went to some platforms and the latest film that i'm going to release um it's going through the festival route now is called uh anthistemic clan and also that has a website www.anthistemicclan.com and there's information about the film there too the trailer the behind the scene I do not have an official page even though I'm constantly working but it's word of mouth I promise you those that are listening that I am going to work on that I am constantly working though but I am not publishing everything you do have to get a couple hours of sleep here here and there between working and more working and writing and directing and more so yeah you write you direct you're doing camera work creatively is there anything you haven't done that you want to explore? Like I said, I don't animation. I'm very intrigued with animation. I find it fascinating. It's a beautiful way to tell stories. I'm diving into that a little more. Uh, aside from winning an Oscar, I think I'm doing everything that I want to do. <laughs> I thought you said you don't want fame and, and fortune. And I said, it feels good to be recognized <laughs> also. Remember that part? Yeah. <laughs> it feels wonderful to be recognized. I'm not saying I'm not going to have any of those things. I will have them, all of them. But that's not the North. That's not why I'm doing things. I'm doing this because it makes me feel incredibly good. Uh, when I'm filming, time just doesn't pass. I could be on set 36 hours and it feels like uh, an hour mm -hmm. I don't need food I don't need sleep I don't need anything people have to like constantly be giving me like hey here's the coffee and I drop it everywhere by the way and they had to force me to eat because I don't feel the need for absolutely anything else and it's a strange feeling because I only feel that way when I'm making movies and 
normally you are to be very tired. I've been shooting three days on the road and I am as sharp as the first hour. The adrenaline kicks in. Then later when it all finished, I go, yep. but um, that's how I know. That's how I knew the first time that I was doing something that I was created to do. We all created with a different path in life. I think I was created to do this by whatever energy made me mm-hmm. call it. God, call it Allah, call it Muhammad, call it whatever you want to call it. Excuse me, what I call it. That. They create me, that brought me to earth and brought earth into my lung, creating me to do this. Would you give any advice to your younger self? I, um, that's a very good question. I wish I was kinder to myself. I wish I was more gentle, less harsh, even though I am very harsh still, but I, I was not as patient as I should have been. So to young Miguel, you should have listened to your intuition more. I'm more in tune with that now, but I wish that had come to me sooner. Great advice. Miguel, thank you so much for being here today. This has been fascinating. Uh, you know, really seeing the other side of, of directing. Again, you know, people see the images of a famous director behind a camera where usually that's just a publicity stunt that's on it. Really, how, how much work and how much you pour your heart and soul into your work. And that's something uh, that should really be admired. We're happy to have you back on the podcast in the future, anytime you'd like. And I wish you the best of luck with everything. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions or feedback for future episodes be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast this is the Cinema Pathway podcast we'll see you next time lights out